Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our Christmas at the Movies sermon series. This series uses some of our favorite Christmas movies to gain a deeper understanding of Christmas. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Well, welcome to Valley Brook on our second Sunday at Christmas and the movies. I'm excited about this series. You know, the truth of the matter is there's nothing sacred about these movies that we watch at Christmas, but I know many of you love them and watch them, but they teach us, reveal something about true life that God's word can apply us to. Now, you know, there are really two kinds of Christmas movies. I don't know if you've sort of noticed this. There are movies that are exactly about, the, about Christmas. They're about the day of Christmas that all centers around that. And then there are other movies that uh, the backdrop is they happened at Christmas. Uh, we were talking to, uh, earlier this week with our staff, and, and our, our youth pastor, David, said, you know, his favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. Um, the backdrop is Christmas, if you remember the movie. Uh, we're going to look at a movie today uh, as a clip just to sort of put us in a frame so that God's Word can speak to us that happened at Christmas. It's not about Christmas, but it, it's, it's a classic. It's from 1946. It's the movie It's a Wonderful Life uh, starring uh, Jimmy Stewart. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just such a, a powerful movie. So without giving away the, the, the whole movie, because I guess that there's probably somebody in here who's not seen it. I encourage you to watch it, but the story is about George Bailey. George is a man who has basically given up his dreams in life to help others, and he does it continually throughout the movie. So you discover George, sort of the place where it makes a huge change in his life is the day before he's going to go on his trip around the world that he saved for all of his life, his father suddenly dies, and he's thrust into taking care of the family business, the Bailey Brothers uh, building and loan. And so he, he goes in just to help things out for a couple of weeks, but a couple of weeks turn into a month, turn into a year, turn into years. He eventually stays on, obviously, at the building and loan. He gets married. He has kids. And uh, he continues on in running the business and, and helping the town where they live. Now, it comes to a, a little bit of a crisis, actually a, a huge crisis, when his uncle, who's the partner in the business, loses the big deposit on Christmas Eve. And so they're in danger of losing the building and loan. Uh, George is in danger of being arrested for stealing money. And he goes to the, basically the villain in the town, Mr. Potter, who owns the local bank, who's been trying to build the uh, building, tried to, to buy the building loan for years. And this is where we catch up with George in the movie. I'm in trouble, Mr. Potter. I need help. Through some sort of an accident, my company shortened their accounts. The bank examiner got there today. I've got to raise $8,000 immediately. Oh, that's what the reporters wanted to talk to you about. The reporters? Yes, they called me up from your building and loan. Oh, there's a man over there from the DA's office, too, who's looking for you. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you, please? Can't you see what it means to my family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building and loan, I'm... George, I'm, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books? No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere. 
You misplaced $8,000. Yes, sir. Have you notified the police? No, sir. I, I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're going to believe that one. What have you been doing, George? Um, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir. No, sir. I haven't. Oh, is it a woman, then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but... Why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> what kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks? No, sir. Bond? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? Well, I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes, uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500? And you asked me to lend you $8,000. Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have 8000 You know why? Because they'd run you out of town on a rail. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, George, since the uh, state examiner is still here. As a stockholder of the building and loan, I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Misappropriation of funds, manipulation, malfeasance. All right, George. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. You can't hide in a little town like this. <laughs> Did you catch what Mr. Potter said? You're worth more dead than alive. That thrusts George into a crisis in which he's wrestling with that whole concept. And so he runs out into the snow. He ends up in a, in a pub, and this is where we catch him up with him at the end. How about some of that good spaghetti? We got everything. Say love you, not the end of the movie. I would encourage you to watch it to see how that prayer gets answered. You, you know, what's happening there is George has this wonderful life. It's had its challenges, its ups and downs, but, but now at this place, it's all falling apart. And I think if we're honest, we can identify with that. We've all gone through experiences when it feels like life is falling apart, where the wonderful plans that we've made 
aren't going to happen, where we've reached our limit, where we can't take it anymore. Maybe you're in that season right now, or maybe that season in your life is looming in the future, or maybe you've been through a time like that. This morning, we're going to take a look at what God's Word tells us to do when the wonderful life that we dreamed about seems to be falling apart. And we're going to turn into Scripture to the story about Joseph, the man who had a seemingly wonderful life. He was right on the cusp of entering into marriage and, and marrying this young woman named Mary that he was betrothed to, and he had everything to look forward to. And then it all falls apart. Joseph and Mary were betrothed. And what we need to understand is this. In first century marriages, there would be a betrothal period. It would be sort of what we would call engagement, but it would be different from engagement because when you're betrothed in the first century Israel, it was a permanent commitment. You were in that period before the wedding where you would get to know each other because it was an arranged marriage and you would get to bond and connect. And so they had all of this to look forward to. They're in the middle of that period. And the only way that that can be broken in the first century Israel was for you actually to have a divorce. I share that background with you because you, scholars give us that. You won't find that in Scripture because there's just these eight verses in the, in the first chapter of Matthew that, that reveal this story about Joseph. And what happens in his life when he, he looks like he's getting ready to enter into this wonderful life and it all falls apart. So we're going to look at a few verses. We're going to start in verse 18 of chapter 1. And we're going to look at two verses and then I'm going to share some more with you and then we'll go on. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. At this point in the story, Joseph didn't believe that God had made Mary pregnant. Certainly Mary had told him what God had said to her, but he would have thought she was crazy, that she was out of her mind. He wouldn't have believed her. All he knew was that his fiance was pregnant and he was devastated because he wasn't the father. It looked like she had been unfaithful and cheated on him. So Joseph, being a faithful follower of, follower of the law, um, decided that he would divorce her. But he was also a very compassionate man. He, he didn't want to cause her public disgrace, it said, so he wanted to go about it quietly. Back in the movie clip that we saw, when George Bailey's life fell apart, when he was at the end of his rope, he said, I'm not a praying man, but he said, God, show me the way. And I imagine because Joseph was a follower of the law, a faithful follower of the law, that he was praying those same kind of prayers. He was saying, God, show me the way. What do I do? Show me the way. He certainly poured out his heart his broken heart to the Lord and asked him what to do. So we're going to look at how Joseph dealt with his life when it was falling apart. And from these next six, six verses, we're going to find out what he did, and we're going to see how you and I can handle life with God when it seems to be falling apart. 
Here's the first thing that Joseph did, and it's what we have to do. Whatever you're going through, trust in the Holy Spirit of God. Trust in the Holy Spirit. During the days and nights that Joseph wrestled with his fiance's apparent unfaithfulness, the Spirit of God spoke to him a dream, sent him this message, and this is where we pick it up in verse 20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Spirit of God gave Joseph a messenger who came to him in a dream and the message was, Joseph, trust me. Joseph, trust me and don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Joseph, trust me. What's going on here is bigger than you understand. Joseph, what's going on here is of God, not of human origin. When the Holy Spirit spoke to Joseph in this way, the Holy Spirit was doing what Scripture tells us the Spirit does. If you go to John chapter 15, 14, 15, and 16, you'll see just a a beautiful explanation of what the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit comes to teach us, to guide us, and to comfort us. So in those two verses, we see the Holy Spirit teaching and guiding and comforting. First, we see the Spirit is teaching Joseph this pregnancy is of God. This pregnancy happened by supernatural means. This is, a, this is confirmed in Scripture. In, in the Gospel of Luke, we see the Holy Spirit speak to Mary about how she's going to have a child. So, the Holy Spirit's saying, trust me, Joseph. This is all from God. He's teaching him. But he's also guiding Joseph. The Holy Spirit guides Joseph because he says, Now that you know that this pregnancy is of God, I want you to trust me, and I want you to take Mary home to be your wife. Don't call off the engagement. Don't divorce her. Marry her. And then we see the Spirit of God comfort Joseph in this dream. Not only does he say, trust me, but he says, Joseph, This pregnancy is of God, and this baby has a divine purpose. There's a reason for this, Joseph. Take comfort in this. Now, this comfort was huge, particularly for a man who was a devout follower of God, who was a follower of God's word, because as a devout follower of God, as one who followed the law of God, all of his integrity was going to be thrown to the wind. Because when... Mary began to show that she was pregnant as the baby continued to grow in her womb and she got bigger. People would say, well, he's not divorcing her, so he must have broken the law before they were married. So the Holy Spirit's comforting him because his integrity was going to be disrespected and people would have thought, this and he would experience a lot of shame and embarrassment the holy spirit taught joseph the holy spirit guided joseph in those two verses and, and the holy spirit comforted him so so the big picture is this when you're when when your wonderful life plans fall apart 
Turn to the Holy Spirit and trust the Holy Spirit to teach you and to guide you and to comfort you. But that's not all that Joseph did. In the next verses, this is what we see he did. He trusted in God's word. Let's look at verse 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is the angel's message. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will, will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Folks, this is a direct quote from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7. I'll put it up on the screen. This is what Isaiah said. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Let's look at that prophecy for a moment. When you turn to Isaiah 7, you'll see that in, the, in context, the Lord was giving a prophecy through Isaiah to King Ahaz. You see, King Ahaz, instead of trusting God to protect him, was trusting in other nations to protect him and the nation of Israel. Scholars point out that, that there was more to this than that. The sign of the child constitutes an indication that the all-sovereign and all-knowing God has the situation completely in hand. And it rebukes King Ahaz. He rebukes King Ahaz for his lack of faith in him. Now, here, here's something that we need to understand. You, you know, today we look at our relationship God, with God really almost all the time as one-on-one, -on -one, me and God. We don't think of ourselves often and collectively as the body of Christ in our relationship with God, but we should because our, our spiritual ancestors, the Israelites, looked at their relationship with God more so collectively than singularly. They, they said, this is what God is doing for us as a people more than they said, it's about God and me. And so we as Christians need to understand that. So what scholars point out is while this prophecy was for Ahaz at that time, personally for what, the fact that he was being disobedient, trusting in others instead of God, it also was for all of them. In, in the fullness of time, this messianic child would be born, and the sign would be that a virgin would conceive a child and give birth to this child, and his name was supposed to be Emmanuel, God with us. And he would come not just to save his people from human enemies, but also from sin. Now, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. Can you imagine as someone who is a devout follower of God's word to be told that you are part of the fulfillment of a prophetic word? I mean, wrap your head around that. It would be hard to do, to think that God would use you. And quite honestly, it would be challenging because the circumstances that God wants to use you in are putting you way outside of your comfort zone. But God's saying, trust in my word. Trust in my word that I will fulfill it. You know, that, that's why we here at Valleybrook really encourage people to read God's word, to study God's word, to memorize God's word. Why? Because we want you to trust in God's word because God wants to speak to you through his word, first and foremost through his word, but then also through the Holy Spirit. So we need to be students of the Bible. I guarantee you this. I promise you. This is not a promise for me. It's a promise from God. When you spend time in God's word, 
When you need to trust God, when you're going through a difficult time or when you're going through a great time, God will bring his word to mind because you've studied and you've remembered it. It may not be exactly what it says in scripture, but when you look it up, then you'll realize and God will speak to you from his word. We trust in God's word. We let it speak to us. Think this through. God's word came to him in this all of a sudden crazy out of control experience that he was going through and God says trust me God says that to you and I when we go through crazy out of control out of nowhere experiences God says trust me through his spirit and trust me through his word So Joseph had that message. Trust what the Spirit was saying. Trust what his word says. But here's the third thing that that you see in this passage and maybe the hardest part. Trust with obedience. Trust with obedience. There's an old hymn called Trust and Obey for there's no better way. As followers of Jesus, we need to trust and obey. And that's what the Holy Spirit told Joseph to do. So let's pick up in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph trusted God and obeyed what he had been told to do. He took Mary home as his wife. He obeyed despite the questions and accusations people would have about the purity of their relationship and his faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to God's word. He trusted and obeyed when it wasn't easy. He trusted and obeyed when the culture said, end it, divorce her, move on. He trusted and obeyed when his integrity and reputation was going to be thrown in the mud by everyone who knew him. God calls us to trust and obey him and his word even when it's difficult. When his world fell apart, he trusted the Holy Spirit, he trusted God's word, and then we see here that he obeyed God's word. He moved forward. You know, This is a real-life crisis. You and I go through real-life crises. You know, here's a truth about life. Scott Peck wrote a book years ago. It was called The Road Less Traveled. I have the book. I bought it some probably 30 years ago. And I'm going to be honest with you. I never got past the first page. I really never got past the first sentence because it spoke to me at a time in my life when I needed to hear it. And this is what it says. I'll quote it to you. I still remember it. Life is difficult. You know, we all want a wonderful life, but sometimes life proves really difficult and it all falls apart. So what do we do? What do we do? We trust on God the Spirit to work in our lives. We trust on God's Word. We lean into it. And we trust and obey. This is true not only for Joseph, this is true for us. So, 
What are you going to do when your wonderful life falls apart? Because the truth of the matter is sometimes you're going to go through something that makes it feel life, life's going apart. It may be a health issue. It may be a relationship issue. It may be a financial issue. It, it may be all of them. I don't know. But what are you going to do? You know, I, I wish I could just wrap up everything nice and neat for you and, and tell you that, you know, it, it's, it's going to be all okay. But here's the deal. It will be if you trust and obey. will be trust that God has sent you the Holy Spirit to live in you as a follower of Jesus Christ and he's going to be your teacher and your guide and your comforter trust you that he's given you God's word that you can read whenever you want as often as you want as much as you want you can memorize it you can study it and God's word God's voice will speak to you through it and then with all of that, then it's time to trust and obey. You know, there's only one thing left for us to do with that message, and that's to pray. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for, for situations that you might be going through, and, and, and I don't know what they are, but I'm just going to pray for whatever God wants to do for you and I want to pray that we'll all remember this this lesson of what Joseph did so let's bow our heads father we thank you for the fact that you love us so much lord we, we thank you that you care for us and that you desire for us to trust you that you will give us what we need that you've given us the spirit and you've given us your word and so lord I pray that you would speak to each one of us that you would speak to whatever we're going through. Lord, maybe it's, it's a health issue, maybe it's a relationship issue, maybe it's a heart issue, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's something else, and it's just hard. But Lord, we trust you. So Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us, comfort us. Use God's word to speak to us and give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And then give us the courage to trust and obey when we cannot see how things will work out. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.